Well, if you will, open with me in your Bibles to the book of Numbers, chapter 4. Numbers, chapter 4. This is uh, just a little bit longer of a chapter. Um, so what we're going to do, I'm going I'm to read most of it, uh, but basically we'll read from verse 1 uh, down to verse 33, and I'll summarize what's, what's going on from uh, verse 34 down to verse 45. We'll, we'll pick up reading again in verse 46 and then, and then finish it. Numbers chapter 4, the Word of God reads, The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Take a census of the sons of Kohath from among the sons of Levi by their clans and their fathers' houses. From thirty years old up to fifty years old, all who can come on duty to do the work in the tent of meeting. This is the service of the sons of Kohath in the tent of meeting, the most holy thing. When the camp is to set out, Aaron and his sons shall go in and take down the veil of the screen and cover the ark of the testimony with it. Then they shall put on it a covering of goatskin and spread on top of that cloth, all of blue, and shall put in its poles. And over the table of the bread of the presence, they shall, they shall spread a cloth of blue and put on it the plates, the dishes for the incense, the bowls, and the, the flagons for the drink offering. The regular show bread also shall be on it. Then they shall spread over them a cloth of scarlet cover the same with a covering of goatskin, and shall put in its poles. And they shall take a cloth of blue and cover the lampstand for the light with its lamp, its tongs, its trays, and all the vessels of oil with which it is supplied. And they shall put it with all its utensils in a covering of goatskin and put it on the carrying frame. And over the golden altar they shall spread a cloth of blue and cover it with a covering of goatskin and shall put, it, uh, put in it its poles. And they shall take all the vessels of the service that are used in the sanctuary and put them in a cloth of blue and cover them with a covering of goatskin and put them on the carrying frame. And they shall take away the ashes from the altar and spread a purple cloth over it. And they shall put on it all the utensils of the altar which are used for the service there, the firepans, the forks, the shovels, and the basins, all the utensils of the altar. And they shall spread on it a covering of goatskin and shall put in its poles. And when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings of the sanctuary as the camp sets out. After that, the sons of Kohath shall come to carry these. But they must not touch the holy things, 
lest they die. These are the things of the tent of meeting that the sons of Kohath are to carry. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, shall have charge of the oil, the light, the fragrant incense, the regular grain offering, and the anointing oil with the oversight of the whole tabernacle and all that is in it, of the sanctuary and its vessels. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Let not the tribe of the clans of the Kohathites be destroyed from among the Levites, but deal thus with them, that they may live and not die when they come near to the most holy things. Aaron and his sons shall go in and appoint them each to his task and to his burden, but they shall not go in to look on the holy things even for a moment lest they die. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take a census of the sons of Gershon also, by their fathers' houses and by their clans. From thirty years old up to fifty years old, you shall list them, all who can come to do duty, to do service in the tent of meeting. This is the service of the clans of the Gershonites in serving and bearing burdens. They shall carry the curtains of the tabernacle, and the tent of meeting with its covering, and the covering of goatskin that is on top of it, and the screen for the entrance of the tent of meeting, and the hangings of the court, and the screen for the entrance of the gate of the court that is around the tabernacle and the altar, and their cords and all the equipment for their service. And they shall do all that needs to be done with regard to them. All the service of the sons of the Gershonites shall be at the command of Aaron and his sons in all that they are to carry and in all that they have to do. And you shall assign to their charge all that they are to carry. This is the service of the clans of the sons of the Gershonites in the tent of meeting. And their guard duty is to be under the direction of Ithamar, the son of Aaron the priest. As for the sons of uh, Merari, You shall list them by their clans and their fathers' houses. From thirty years old up to fifty years old, you shall list them, everyone who can come on duty to do the service of the tent of meeting. And this is what they are charged to carry as the whole of their service in the tent of meeting. The frames of the tabernacle with its bars, pillars, and bases, and the pillars around the court with their bases, pegs, and cords, with all their equipment and all their accessories. And you shall list by name the objects that they they are required to carry. This is the service of the clans of the sons of Merari, the whole of their service in the tent of meeting under the direction of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. And then from verse 34, basically down to verse 45, there's a census that's taken where, where there's a numbering from each tribe of the exact amount of those who are qualified to serve. And this is summarized then in verse 46 and following. So we read there in verse 46, all those who were listed of the Levites, whom Moses and Aaron and and the chiefs of Israel listed by their clans and their fathers' houses from 30 years old up to 50 years old, everyone who could come to do the service of ministry and the service of bearing burdens in the tent of meeting, those listed were 8,580. 
according to the commandment of the Lord through Moses, they were listed, each one with his task of serving or carrying. Thus they were listed by him as the Lord commanded Moses. So let's, uh, let's go together to the Lord uh, in prayer. Well, Father, it is very clear from your word that you have given your people Israel very meticulous instructions in how they are to order the camp, how they are to order the tabernacle, and who is allowed to enter, and what is allowed to be touched and seen. And all of this, Lord, is in service, both for your own worship and to guard the people of Israel from the holiness of God breaking out against them. And Lord, as we will look at and consider as well, we know not only from this particular chapter, but as your word unfolds that these very instructions that you had given your people long ago served as a witness for them to, for even better things that were to come. That they were, as the author of Hebrews, Hebrews puts it, they were types and shadows that would ultimately reach their climax and fulfillment in Christ. And so I pray for our time this evening, Lord, as we, we study your word, that you would help us to understand the, the meaning and everything that was going on in this camp and in the tabernacle, and help us to see how it ultimately comes to a climax in the person of your Son, Jesus Christ. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we uh, continue our study together through the book of Numbers this evening, uh, we come to a chapter that provides, of course, the details of the specific service that the Levites were to uh, carry out in the tabernacle. Now, um, if you have an ESV, I think most of you do, in chapter 3, uh, the ESV provides a, a subheading for verses 5 to 39 that says the duties of the Levites. And then here in chapter 4, we have this subheading that says the, the duties of the Kohathites. Uh, but really, chapter 3 isn't so much focused on the, the duties of the Levites as it is focused on the numbering of the sons of Levi and their um, particular positions in the camp. It's really here when we get to chapter 4 that we find a more a detailed description as to the exact duties of the three Levitical uh, tribes that were to aid the sons of Aaron with the ministry of the tabernacle. Now, um, I think it's important to remember that uh, there is a theme in the organization of all Israel and the organization of the tabernacle itself that communicates something about the holiness of God uh, to us and, of course, to the people uh, at the time. We saw in earlier chapters how in the wilderness the people of Israel were assigned specific camping sites uh, around the tabernacle. You had Three tribes who were to camp on the north side, three on the south, three on the east, and three on the west. And each of these tribes were all to be facing toward the center of the camp where 
the tabernacle was as if to communicate that God was in their midst and they were looking to Him for their lead. He is the center of the people of Israel. Additionally, the, uh, the tribe of Levi uh, was to camp immediately outside of the camp, uh, or outside of the, uh, the tabernacle, uh, providing a, a kind of degree of separation between the rest of the people of Israel and uh, the tabernacle. There was a kind of a buffer zone that existed between God and the rest of the people of, of Israel. And so on the one hand, their camp arrangements communicated that, of course, God was indeed in their midst. Uh, but on the other hand, it communicated that they were not to come near to Him because God Himself is holy and they are not. It was as if at the time uh, God, uh, or it was as if God at, at Mount Sinai was now uh, traveling with them and just as the people were commanded at Sinai not to come near the mountain lest they die, so also in the arrangement of the camp the people can see that God is with them, that God is in their midst. They can, they can gaze upon His presence, if you will, at the tabernacle as if gazing at Sinai. But as Sinai is traveling with them through the wilderness, as the, the Ark of the Covenant where the, the Ten Commandments are kept is traveling with them in the wilderness, the command of Sinai not to come near is still in force. So it's, it's, it's Sinai traveling through the wilderness. Now, uh, this basic theme uh, continues even into chapter 4. Right? It's, it's as if, as we are making our way through these early chapters of the book of Numbers, uh, we are getting closer and closer to the inside of the tabernacle. We, we start on the outside and then the instructions get closer and closer uh, to the inside. And now, in this chapter, the Lord is going to give instructions for uh, not only how the Levites should be arranged, but also who is qualified to serve in the tabernacle and how they are specifically uh, to serve and, and do ministry. Not just anyone, of course, could serve in the tabernacle, and not just any Levite uh, could serve in the tabernacle however he pleased. There were qualifications that existed, and there were assigned roles for each particular tribe. And the first qualification that we find here is that the Levites who served in the tabernacle were supposed to be males. Notice with me in verse 2 uh, what it says there. It says, take a census of the sons of Kohath from among the sons of Levi. And then verse 4, this is the service of the sons of Kohath. And then verse 22, take a census of the sons of Gershon also. Not their daughters, but the sons only. Then in verse 29, as for the sons of uh, Merari, that one always gets me, Merari, you shall list them by their clans and their father's houses. 
the, uh, the women at the time were prohibited from serving within the tabernacle. And likely one of the reasons was because there were, of course, laws about ceremonial uncleanness. And, and many of those laws had to do with things like coming into contact with blood. And so women, when they were, of course, on their menstrual cycle, would obviously experience bleeding, and, and for ceremonial purposes, they would be considered uh, unclean. Now, of course, there were, there were similar, um, there were similar uh, 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 laws and, and, and ceremonial uh, uh, statutes for men as well, whenever there was some discharge or they had come in contact with blood as, as well. But for, for the women, this is, this is an, obviously this is a, a regular uh, thing. So that, that's, that's one uh, potential reason why they are uh, not allowed to serve. But it's also probably the case that the Lord wanted the men to lead as they do in the home. And so the position of serving in the tabernacle was a reflection of this, this very leadership. It's very similar to, to even the, 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 the commands about um, overseers and, and elders right, in the church. It is to be a, a kind of, in a certain way, a reflection of how the, the very home is to be ordered. And so certainly I'm sure there was an, an element to that involved uh, as well. Um, but regardless of all of the uh, possible reasons, the point is that one of the qualifications for serving in the tabernacle was that you had to be a male. Another qualification is that you had to be a certain age, between 20 years old and 50. And so if you were younger than that, you obviously were barred from serving. And of course, if you were older than that, you couldn't serve as well. It didn't matter if you had or were going to serve faithfully for 30 years. The Lord says he's retiring you when you reach the age of 50. You could, of course, after that time, continue to guard the tabernacle on uh, the outside. And, and perhaps as you were sitting in your chair guarding the tabernacle, you could share stories with other retirees about the things that you had seen as you served in the tabernacle. But Whatever you chose to do after 50, you could no longer serve within uh, the tabernacle. Now, um, in addition to these two basic qualifications, as a Levite, uh, you could not serve in the tabernacle however you pleased. Uh, you had an assigned role and you had an assigned duty based on the particular house or the, or the tribe that you were born into. And so if you were born into the tribe of uh, Kohath, your assigned role whenever the camp set out was to carry all of the holy things that were part of worship in the tabernacle. So you carried things like the Ark of the Covenant. You carried things like the table for the bread of presence and the plate and the dishes that went along with that, you, you, you carried the, the golden altar, and you carried the, the altar that was in the, the outside or the, the, the outer court of the tabernacle and, and the lampstand as well. If you were born in the tribe of Gershon, your assigned role was to carry basically all of the, 
the screens and, and the curtains that decorated and that were used to close off the, the tabernacle from the outside and from its different compartments um, on the inside. And then if you were born in the tribe of Merari, your responsibility was to carry basically all of the skeletal structure uh, of the tabernacle. So you had the, you had the frames and the pillars and the bases and, and all of the pegs that went along with that. And so the Gershonites were never permitted, never allowed to carry any of the items that the Kohathites had been given. The Kohathites couldn't, couldn't carry or, or serve with any of the things that the Merorites were given. And, and likewise, the Merorites couldn't use any of, things that, any of the things that the Gershonites had been assigned to. And I think there's a, a clear counterpart even to how the, the New Testament church is to function uh, today. Right? So we, we, we have seen right in 1 Peter that Christians themselves, we are described uh, ourselves as a, as a holy priesthood. The church is God's new holy priesthood. And within the priesthood, there are various roles and various responsibilities. There are various giftings that God gives to each person. And not everyone or anyone is to serve in whatever capacity that they please. Uh, pastors, for example, uh, have certain qualifications that they have to meet. Uh, they are, of course, as, as we've seen, they are first of all to be men. Uh, but even saying that, it's not as if just any man can serve as a pastor. There are qualifications that he must meet, which largely have to do with him being a, a good, godly family man who is also able to teach the Word of God, who, who can teach it positively and can, can rebuke and correct those who, who contradict it. And deacons, likewise, have to meet very similar certain qualifications. But even beyond particular offices in the church, God equips His church with people who have themselves various gifts. And none of these gifts and none of these roles or offices makes one person superior than another. They are, they are all equally necessary to the flourishing of the church, to the, to the body of Christ. And so Paul says, for example, in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and following, he says there, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And of course, this, this list that, that Paul provides here, this is not an exhaustive list. He's not describing every potential gifting that exists within 
the church. There's an infinite variety of gifts that could be named. Some people, for example, are just really good handymen. Right? That's not me. Uh, if, if you've ever seen me try to climb a large ladder and change a light bulb outside like Leah has, you, you will recognize that I'm struck with the fear of falling to my death, and it, you see it as it's, as it's happening, right? The, the, the handyman skills have not been granted to me by the Lord. Uh, but other people are. They're, they're just skilled and, and perhaps even less fearful in those what I would call grand feats of light bulb changing at great heights. <laughs> and so we could add to these gifts uh, uh, that, that should be used, you know, that, that Paul lists here. If a handyman do so skillfully, right, as unto the Lord. And all of these varieties of gifts, when used properly in the church, serves the purpose of, of helping the church, serves the purpose of, of, of helping the, the temple of God, the, very, the new tabernacle of God, if you will, it helps the church function properly. It helps it flourish, right? So we, we need all of those gifts. We need all of those varieties of different roles to be uh, carried out well. Now, in addition to these qualifications that we find in the service of the Levites, we find also that there was special attention given here to the Kohathites. There's a lot more said, and, and that's probably why the, the ESV places an emphasis here, speaking about the duties of the Kohathites. There's a, there's a great emphasis here, a lot more elaboration about them. Um, they had, the Kohathites had, if we can put it this way, um, they had the most dangerous job. Uh, they, they were, uh, if you will, uh, the electricians who were having to handle live wires. Right? And, and if you're not careful, you're going to die on the job. Right? So they had a very dangerous job. And the reason why this is the case is because the Kohathites specifically were assigned the role of carrying the most holy things in the tabernacle. As we read in the text, they, uh, of course, the, the Kohathites, they couldn't just march into the tabernacle and pick up those holy things and handle them just like a, you know, a random piece of mail, some package that can just be thrown around carelessly. Now, the things that they had to carry could kill you if not handled properly. And so we find the Lord saying to Moses and Aaron in verse 18, if you look with me there at verse 18, He says something there about the Kohathites that He does not say about the other two tribes. He says, let not the tribe of the clans of the Kohathites be destroyed from among the Levites but deal thus with them that they may live, that they may not die when they come near to the most holy things. The sons of Aaron had to deal 
thus with the Kohathites when they came near to guard them from dying. They had to protect them, if you will. And how did they do this? What were they to do in order, as the Lord says, to deal thusly with the Kohathites and to protect them? Well, the sons of Aaron were instructed, we see in the text, to cover all of the most holy things before the Kohathites could either see them or touch them. Because if they either looked at them directly or they touched them, the holiness of God would break out against them and they would perish. So before they could enter and see and touch any of the things that they had to carry, those items had to be covered. Their sins rendered them unclean before God and incapable, therefore, of handling or looking upon what God had consecrated as holy. And furthermore, unlike the sons of Aaron, God did not prescribe sacrifices for them to offer that would make atonement for them and make them clean so that they could then handle the most holy things. And so if they handle these things, these, these most holy things of God, while being a most unholy people, God's own holiness would consume them in judgment. His, his purity would break out against them like a fire melting the dross from gold, only they would not be the gold. They'd be the dross. And so in verses 5-16, to 16, the Lord outlines exactly what should be covered and how it should be covered before the Kohathites come in to carry the most holy things. And, and it's interesting here that, that how each item was covered was a little bit different. Right? That they're not all covered in the same way. Uh, indicating something again about the level of holiness it had, and, and thus the, the degree of separations that were, were needed when even handling the things within uh, inside of the tabernacle. And so, for example, the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, which contained the Ten Commandments, the Ark of the Covenant was the most holy thing in the most holy of holy places. It dwelled in the Holy of Holies and it represented the fullness of the presence of God. And when the sons of Aaron came in to cover it, they gave it a triple covering. Right? Nothing else gets a, a triple covering. They were to take the veil, first of all, the veil that separated the most holy place from the holy place, and they were to first of all lay that veil over the ark. Then they were to take a covering of goatskin and cover it again a second time, and then lastly, we're told that they were to cover it a third time with a dark blue cloth, right? So three layers of covering on the ark. 
And so you knew if you were looking at an item, when, you were, when you're packing the things up and you're, you're a Kohathite and you're getting ready to, to carry these items, you knew that if you were looking at an item covered in dark blue, this is the ark. Right? Handle with care. Right? Very fragile. Right? Then we find in, in verses 7 to 12, all of the vessels that were contained in the second holy place were wrapped first of all in a cloth of blue and then in an, uh, in, um, in an outward uh, covering of, of goatskin. And so you knew then, if you were looking at an item that was covered in goatskin and it had a blue cloth underneath, these are the things that go in the holy place. And then lastly we find the altar of the outer court was covered in a purple cloth along with a covering of, of goat skin like, like the prior items. And so there was a triple covering of a dark blue item. There were several lighter blue uh, coverings that had goat skin over it. And then you had uh, the, the, the last altar, which had a, a purple covering also with goat skin uh, over it. And as I said before, these, these colors would indicate the degrees of holiness that were present in the most holy things. And all this had to be done before the Kohathites could ever come in to carry these items because God warns that if they, again, either touch these things or even look at these things, they will surely die. So, so look with me at, at verse 15, uh, what the text says in verse 15. We read there, and when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings of the sanctuary as the camp sets out, after that the sons of Kohath shall come to carry these but they must not touch the holy things lest they die. And then further down in verse 20 it says, but they shall not go in to look on the holy things even for a moment lest they die. Now, uh, this ceremony of covering all of these holy things before ever setting out and before anyone else could ever move them. This, this whole ceremony, of course, would have reinforced some very important truths for the people of God to understand. One of which, and perhaps the most important of all, is that the holiness of God is something to be taken very, very seriously. His holiness is not something that can be treated lightly. It's not something that can be trampled over. It's not something that can be just disregarded. Access to the Lord was not a matter of just deciding one day, I'm going to go into the presence of God. I'm going to go into the tabernacle. I don't care who I am. I'm just going to walk right in and sit on his lap and have a nice conversation for the day, right? There is no 
treating lightly of the holiness of God, and there is no access to Him just on the basis of whatever you want to do. Again, this this is the God of Sinai. And though He had revealed Himself as indeed a gracious and forgiving God, though He had revealed Himself as a saving God to the people of Israel, though He had made provisions for His people to be able to worship Him and to know Him, they were still separated from Him in many respects, and they were barred from coming near by these multiple layers and degrees of separation. Again, not only degrees of separation that have to do with the arrangement of the camp and then the barrier of the Levites, but then who can and cannot enter into the tabernacle and even the the barriers of the, the covers of the most holy thing. One degree of separation after the next taught the people of Israel that yes, God is a God who has saved you and has been gracious to you, but He is still a God who is separate. And a God who cannot be approached in any old way. A God whom you must be careful in coming near. And throughout the Old Testament, we see what happened to people when they disobeyed these very statutes. We're, of course, familiar with the the story of Uzzah in 2 Samuel 6, who was was not a Kohathite, but who was helping to carry the ark to Jerusalem for David. And Uzzah had basically three mistakes that he made. One of them was, first of all, the fact that he's not a Kohathite. He shows up in none of the genealogies of the Kohathites. So he is, he's first of all not qualified in that respect to be able to carry the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. His second error was that he carried the Ark on a cart just like the pagan Philistines had done. He did not use the poles that were supposed to be used in the transportation of the ark. He just put it on a new cart, just like the Philistines had treated the ark when they captured it and took it into their city, and it brought judgment upon them. And then third, what do we see him doing? We, we see him touching the ark with his bare hands. And, and of course, we know what, what happens then. Right? God breaks out against him in judgment, and he strikes him dead. That's one example of, of things that happened when these statutes were, uh, were disobeyed. Perhaps less familiar, though, is the story of the men of Beth Shemesh in 1 Samuel chapter 6. Uh, there in that chapter, uh, after the Philistines had, had gotten rid of the ark because it was bringing judgment uh, on them, the ark ends up in the city of Beth Shemesh And we're told in that chapter, in verses 19 to 21, that the Lord struck dead 70 men of Beth Shemesh. These are Israelites. He struck down 70 of them. Why? The text says, because they looked upon the ark of God. 
they looked. Uzzah touched, they looked. And when they looked, he struck them dead. And the people in that city mourned, of course, when, when this happened. And, and, and they responded to it. And, and listen to what they said. They said, they said, who is able to stand before the Lord? Who is able to stand before the Lord? This holy God. And to whom shall He go up away from us? Who can stand before His holiness? God is holy. They are, they are proclaiming this. They are acknowledging and confessing this truth. But they are also at the same time saying, we can't stand before Him. We are we are dying here by looking at His holiness in the ark. And they're saying that, that someone else needs to come and, and take this ark and remove it away from us. We, we cannot look at it any longer because we're dying by doing this. They, they, need, they need the presence of God removed from them. They want nothing to do with it. The tabernacle and the holiness of the tabernacle. What we see in, in Numbers 4, and what we see is these various events where people die by not regarding these various statues. What we find, friends, is that the tabernacle was a very dangerous place. Dangerous place. And the holiness of God, indeed, the very presence of God itself is a dangerous place for sinful man to be in. As the author of Hebrews puts it, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, particularly in judgment. It is dangerous to come into the presence of God as a sinner is why especially it is such an amazing and a counterintuitive and a breathtaking display of grace when in the person of Jesus Christ, who is Himself the fullness of the holiness of God, and who is in Himself the fullness of the deity of God that, that dwells within Him bodily, it is an amazing thing that we are not told to depart from Jesus when we see Him, when others saw Him. But we are told, we are commanded by Jesus Himself to come. He says to the sinners to come. Come to Me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We shouldn't expect that. That doesn't make any sense in comparison to the things we've, we've seen in the Old Testament and we know about the holiness of God. The, the proclamation should be depart. Leave from this place. Who can stand before this Holy One of God? And yet that's not what Jesus says. That's, that's not what we find happening in the Gospel of Christ. He bids the sinner to come to him. The Apostle John speaks of Jesus 
likewise as the living, breathing tabernacle of God in the prologue of His Gospel. He says in chapter 1, verse 14, that the eternal Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He he tabernacled among us. He became the tabernacle of God among us. And then I want you to hear these next words afresh. Listen to what John says here. And we have seen His glory. We've seen it. We've seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What do you mean? What do you mean, John? You've seen His glory and not died? You've seen the holy tabernacle of God had not been struck down. John says elsewhere in his, in his first epistle, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and we have touched with our hands concerning the Word of God. He, he touched it. Can that be real? With that background, with that understanding of the, the separation, the, the reality that sinners cannot enter into the presence of a, of a holy God. And yet, what is John saying here? We, we've seen Him. We've seen the living tabernacle and, and we've touched Him and lived. How can this be? How can you see the glory of God, and how can you touch Him and not be struck down immediately, knowing all that we know from the Old Testament and from what God instructed His people for so long to do. I'll tell you, friends, the reason why this is the case is because an atonement has been made, a sacrifice has been offered that was not just a sacrifice for the high priest. It was not just a sacrifice to to cleanse the sons of Aaron before they entered. It is not a sacrifice that merely removes the sins for a short time and only for a select few people but a sacrifice has been offered in heaven itself. An eternal sacrifice has been offered. The blood of the very Lamb of God, the the Son of Righteousness, is what has been spilled. And that very blood was used to purify and to make atonement for the Holy of Holies Not on the earth, but in the heavenly places. So that now through the blood of Christ, we can draw near and gaze upon the fullness of the glory of God and touch Him and live. And He Himself can touch a sinner and make the sinner clean and make the dead man Live. There's a complete reversal 
in the actions that take place from the Old Testament tabernacle to the person of Jesus. You touch the holy things, then you die. But the Holy One touches you now and you live forever. Now it is the case that the veil which once separated us from God has been torn in two. And we can walk in and we can see and we can touch the eternal ark of the living God in the person of Christ. And you want to know why the, the Apostle Paul speaks of the ministry of the Old Covenant as something which was indeed full of glory. But as he says, which glory has become nothing in comparison to the ministry of the New Covenant which it far exceeds. You want to know why he can say something like that? This is why. This is why. Because Christ, by His sacrifice, grants us access to God. And as he says in 2 Corinthians, now it is the case that we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of God are being transformed from one degree to the next into the image of Christ. We are not being removed from God by degrees of separation but God Himself is transforming us by degrees of His own holiness. And so let us, friends, be thankful indeed for the ministry of the Old Covenant and for the ministry of the Levites which pointed forward to the even greater ministry that was to come. And I think above all, let us especially be grateful uh, that at one time, people were barred from the presence of God, but now through Christ Himself, we are granted free and perfect and eternal access uh, through His blood. Amen. Well, let's go to the Lord uh, and, and close with a word of prayer. Well, Father, we are indeed grateful grateful that we, we can now all draw near to you through Christ. We are grateful that Christ himself, our, our great high priest, has made a perfect and sufficient sacrifice that cleanses us of all sin once for all so that we can address you now as Father. We are grateful that the terrors of Sinai have been overcome by the glories of Calvary. And that through the cross of Christ, we can walk in your presence and in the Spirit. And so, Lord, we thank you for this hope that we have in Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that it would be such a hope that, that drives us to, to even greater and greater degrees of holiness. That as we as we understand indeed the great privilege we have of being united to you, united to, to God Himself in Christ, that this privilege should come with an even greater desire for deeper and greater holiness. 
pray all of this in Jesus' name.